Let's give it up for the band real quick. Praise the Lord. Man, what a great day today is. Um, hey, I'm, I'm so thankful to be here. Uh, if this is your first time here, uh, fantastic. This is also my first time here. And so uh, I'm excited to, to meet you and get to know you. Uh, my name is Lewis. I am the new guy, as people have called me. Um, so I'm excited to be here. Uh, God has just done some really cool things in my life and in my family's life uh, to get me to a place where I can hang out with you guys here in Bell Shoals in their student ministry. I heard camp was amazing. Is that right? Man, I watched on the live stream. God was doing some cool things, and, uh, um, and so I'm excited to be here. Um, so if you have never been here before, um, I would love to get a chance to hang out with you, connect with you, even if you have been here before, but uh, want to connect as well, uh, I'd love to meet with you. You can hang out in my office. We can go out and get some lunch after school, whatever it looks like. Um, I just want to get to know you because everybody in here has a story, yeah? Some of us may have worse stories than other. I, I have a story. I've got a lot of things that God has done in my own life and in my family's life. I have a wife. Her name is Katie. She and I have been married for almost seven years now. Super pumped about that. I have three little boys. I have a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a three-year-old. I don't have twins. My two youngest are two, 10 months apart, which is wild. I wouldn't recommend it. But either way, you'll see them running around here. I'm really excited to get to know all of you. Tonight, we're starting a new series. Now that we're back midweek, um, it's called This Is Us. And here's what that means. Over the next four weeks, we're going to spend some time diving into God's Word. And we're going to use um, some of the things that we as a Bell Shoals staff call as a part of our DNA. There's a, there's a standard that we have as a, as a Bell Show staff that, that we are going to use um, in order to engage with people, engage in ministry, do what God's called us to do. And so some of those statements we're going to walk through over the next four weeks, and I hope that it would be an opportunity for us to learn and grow together. Now, does anybody in the room know somebody that might be difficult as a person to spend time with? Raise your hand. Don't point fingers. Don't point if you have to point, that's fine, no big deal. There's a lot of people that might be difficult in our lives to deal with, but one of the things that I'd like to share with you tonight, and we would go to God's word for, for an example of what this looks like, listen, is that God has called us to have a passion for people. God has called each and every one of us, if you're a believer in the room, God has called each and every one of us to have a passion for people. So what does that look like? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of John. Chapter 4. Raise your hand if you have your Bible. If you need to pull out your phone, that's fine. But let me tell you something. Your phone is full of distractions, so it might be tricky. So I would encourage you maybe do not disturb, then throw up your Bible app. No big deal. Or you could just bring your physical Bible. Who owns a physical Bible? Raise your hand. All right. If you do not own a physical Bible, let me know, and I will make sure that you have a Bible, and you are more than welcome to bring it. I promise you won't be persecuted. Nobody's going to come in here and drag you out because you brought a Bible. I promise it's a safe place to have your Bible. So you're going to turn to John chapter 4 if you have your Bible is where we're going to be tonight. Now before we get into it, um, I, I know that there are probably some difficult people in the room who would consider themselves a rebel in the room, or if I were to tell you, hey, I need you to do this one thing, you'd probably do the complete opposite, right? Now... I need to share with you about the, one of the greatest people to ever be in my life. It is my mother. 
My mother was an incredible human being. Um, however, she was also a thug. By every stretch of the imagination, the definition of thug is someone who is aggressively violent and sometimes even a criminal. My mother was a thug. She grew up in Miami. That's where I was born and raised. And so uh, there's this place in Miami called Liberty City. Has anyone ever heard of that? Listen, Liberty City's intense. You think there's ghettos here in this area? It's, it's not even close. Liberty City is a bad place. Ask anyone who's ever lived in Miami. She grew up in Liberty City, and she was a manager at Winn-Dixie. I don't know if you're a Winn-Dixie fan. I'm more of a pub-sub guy myself. But she's a Winn-Dixie manager, kind of a big deal, in Liberty City. So she had to deal with difficult customers all the time. So there's this lady one day, this is before my mom got saved, by the way. There's this lady came into the store one day. She was, a, um, she was exchanging a big bag of dog food for a small bag of dog food. Now, I don't know if you have pets, but there are some times where that small bag of dog food, some specialty dog food, can be more expensive than the big bag of dog food, right? So here's what she was saying. She was saying, hey, I want my big bag of dog food. I'm going to give that back to you, and I want this small bag of dog food. Well, the problem is the smaller bag was more expensive. So my mom's having this conversation with this lady. She's like, listen, like, you can't do that. There's a difference you have to pay, um, and, so, and so we're going to have to figure that out. And she's like, well, I don't want to pay that difference. This is bigger than this. I was like, well, that's not how life works. That's not how money works. You have to pay the difference. So, so the lady started getting all kind of upset, right? Maybe you've seen videos of people just freaking out in public for no reason. That would have been this. I said, he's looking at my mom, and she's like, hey, listen, like, I don't care what you need to do, but I'm not paying you any extra money. Mom's like, listen, ma'am, you're going to have to calm it down because we're not in here trying to do some stuff. Like, this is, this is how it's going to work. Well, they're out of register, is there? Can I have a volunteer real quick just to kind of help me illustrate this? Yeah, you, right there. Come on up. Perfect. Come on up here. So here, <laughs> you don't know what you signed up for, man. No, that's fine. That's all right. Come here. Uh, what's your name? Jose. Jose. Nice to meet you, Jose. Actually, I met you already last week. So here's what was happening, right? So you're going to be my mom. You don't look anything like her. Praise God. But this is what it was. So, so this lady was on the other side of the, of the cashier, right? So you got the, the conveyor belt, you got the, the boop, that thing, and then you got like the bagging area. Well, that was my mom. And so this lady started getting upset. She's like, listen, I just want my dog food, lady. And so she, she kind of started doing this number. You ever have somebody get up excited and they start walk, talking with their hands or getting closer to you? My mom's like, listen, lady, you better back up. Like, back up. And she's like, man, I'm going to tell you something right now. You better change my dog food right now. And my mom's like, back up. And this lady goes, what if I don't? Just like that. And so literally, I'm going to turn. You're now the lady. So my mom, before Christ, she goes, bah, just right across the face. My mother then, this is my sweet mom, she walks around, picks up this lady. Literally puts her up against an ice machine and starts just beating the mess out of this lady. Thank you so much. You can sit down. Just starts beating her up. Give him a round of applause for being able to get beat up. Beating her up the whole time. Security had to come in and grab my mom off this lady. Police are involved. It's insane. 
Listen, every one of us has passed. My mom has a very colorful past. Some people are hard to deal with. So when God's telling us to have a passion for people and to engage in people, do you think he also means people like my mom? Yeah, absolutely. That might be intimidating because you don't want to get beat up. But there are times in our lives where God has put us in positions to engage with people that are hard to engage with. And that's exactly what happened in John chapter 4. If you have it, we're opening it up. We're going to read it. This is going to be a lot of scripture, but I promise you this is going to be good for us. Don't assume that any one of us up here is just, I want you to engage in the actual scripture, in the actual Bible. So I want it in front of you. If you've got a Bible, bring it over. But here's what God's word says starting in John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Here's what was going on. John 3, there's a very famous passage. What, what verse is that in John 3? 16. John 3, 16. Maybe a lot of us can, can say it from memory. Maybe we can't. But that conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, he was talking to him, Nicodemus came to Jesus kind of in the middle of the night. He was kind of embarrassed, the Pharisees were out to get Jesus, and so he kind of came to Jesus in the middle of the night. Well then, there started to be some commotion where Jesus' disciples were doing some incredible things in Judea, and there was starting to be sort of this, this, these kind of some coups, some people coming around to, to really attack Jesus. Well, Jesus was like, you know what, I'm going to avoid this for right now. Now is not the time to engage us, and we're going to keep on moving. So he moves from Judea and goes towards Galilee. But he had to pass through this one little town called Samaria. We'll get into why that's interesting in just a second. So here we go. Verse 5. So he came to a town, Samaria, called Sychar, neither field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well... It was about the sixth hour. Some of your versions might say it was around noon. Now, I don't know if you've been enjoying this heat that we've been having in Florida. Anybody just love it? Raise your hand if you just can't stand it. Oh, it's brutal. Let me ask you this. Are you going outside at noon just to go hang out somewhere? No. Some of you might be. You're crazy. That's fine. Jesus showed up at this well at noon. The interesting thing is that typically if you're going to a well to draw water, you're not going at noon. You're going early in the morning. Well, what happened? Jesus, and I don't think this was by accident, intentionally passed through this city knowing that he was going to have this interaction that we're about to see here. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is why this is crazy. Jesus was a Jew walking through Samaria. That might not sound weird to you, but because of the tension between Jews and Samaritans, there was actually an alternate route, a traditional route that Jews would take in order to avoid Samaria altogether. You know those people who are hard to deal with? You ever walk by them and avoid them completely? 
That's what the Jews were doing with these Samaritans. In fact, I want you to see, do we have this picture up here? Look at this. Check this out. So I don't know if you can see this, like, dotted line, that gray line. Can you see that? Can I? I can't make myself smaller. I'm sorry. But it goes all the way around. Jacob's well right there, that sidecar, that's within Samaria. That's where Jesus is in this moment. The Jews would literally travel hundreds of miles extra just to avoid these people. Just to avoid them. So what Jesus did is instead of, uh, was that the wrong spot? Got it. Instead of going around, goes right through knowing that he's going to have this interaction with this woman, the Samaritan woman. Not only was it the fact that he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan, but also that he was a man and she was a woman. And that day, men didn't really talk to women, breaking down barriers. Not only was that a difference that he was a man and she was a woman, but who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus. If you know anything about Jesus, creator of the universe, savior of the world, lived a sinless life, we'll find out soon that this woman has way more struggles that she wants to let on. So let's continue. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where would you get that living water? So here's what happened. Jesus sat down and he said, listen, I need something to drink. She's like, why are you here? It's the middle of the day. There's nobody here. All of the women who would come would come early in the morning. So why is it that this woman is here in the middle of the day? You think she might have been avoiding people? You think there might have been some shame inside her own life? Jesus says, hey, I want something to drink. And so in this moment, what she is saying is, uh, sir, When you say, give me a drink, what does that mean? And she said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, he would have given it to you. He would have given you living water. Jesus is trying to meet a spiritual need, and she is stuck on the physical need. Jesus has now shifted over from saying, give me a drink. I need to to, uh, get some water because I'm, I'm thirsty from the travel. And has now moved to, I have something for you that you don't even understand called living water. So he dives into it. He explains it in and of itself. So here's what he says. He says, I have the living water. The woman said to him, verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw that water with. The well's deep. Where would you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Remember, this is Jacob's well that they're standing in. He gave us the well. He drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks, sorry, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. So what is Jesus now saying? He's saying, listen, I have something for you that, (laughs) this is great. He goes, he goes I, I have something for you that is going to last you forever. This living water is going to be so much more than this physical need. This physical need that you're looking for, for some type of, of freedom from, is now something that I'm going to turn into a spiritual need being met. But she's still confused. 
She's still figuring this out. She's still trying to work through, is this a physical need? Is this a spiritual need? So then here's what she said. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and that I won't have to come here and draw from this well. There are so many times in our life where there are spiritual needs and we're trying to figure out, God, what is it that you're trying to call, call me to? What is it that you're trying to do in my life? And instead, instead of truly engaging in what God would have for us, what we start to do is we try to use physical things. We start to find satisfaction in things that aren't really from God, but we could kind of twist and turn to make it from God. We start to use things like relationships. Hey, I've got a spiritual need. There's this empty hole in my life that only God can fill, but I'm going to see if I can fill it with somebody else. We use material things. There's this identity struggle. I'm supposed to be something. I'm supposed to look a certain way for other people. So maybe if I just bought some stuff or, or wore these specific things or, or had this next and nicest phone or technology or whatever it is, those are the things that are going to meet my spiritual need. And the reality is, is that every one of us have a hole and have a need in our lives. And if we continue to use physical things to try and fill that, we'll never be satisfied. So Jesus here is offering her something different. She's not getting it, so he just decides to kind of take a different route. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband. Verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you got that right. He said, yeah, you got no husband. For you had five husbands. The one you now have is not your husband. Called out. You ever been called out on something and you knew it immediately? You did something wrong and you come home and you try to talk to your parents about it and your parents are like, yeah, I know, I know what's going on. Your teacher already called me. You ever had that situation? Is that just me? They already know the thing. They're asking you questions and you're like, oh, I'm trying to lie about it. No big deal. But then all of a sudden they just call you out. And Jesus in this moment has taken this lady's story and just presented it to her. Now we might say, geez, man, that's a lot. That's kind of harsh, man. Why is Jesus throwing this up everywhere? Well, that's, that's not really, it wasn't really meant as an attack. And in fact, in John chapter 3, verse 17, it says that the gospel is actually not to bring condemnation, but restoration. And so the, what, what she would have received had a Pharisee had this conversation with her, was, would be a Pharisee would have interrogated her, would have turned her in, maybe even stoned her for all of her sin. But what Jesus did is he finished her story so that she didn't have to. This wasn't about coming at this lady because she had sin in her life. This was about understanding that because of that sin, there was a need for grace. And Jesus was right here saying, I've got that grace for you. It's the living water. And so then he keeps on going. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Yeah, I'd think that too if somebody just laid out all my junk on the table. I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Here's what Jesus said to her. Woman, <laughs> guys, can I talk to you for a second? Don't, don't, don't start a sentence with woman, just as a heads up. Not to your mom for sure. Not to Morgan. She will slap you. I bet. Don't do it. Just say, ma'am, something like that. Different day and age. 
But this is what Jesus said. He said, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. When she starts to realize there's a spiritual need in her life and she's trying to navigate through it, she starts to say, okay, listen, you just called me out on my stuff, but listen, I'm, this, is, this is where we're supposed to worship. She goes immediately to a place in which she should worship as justification or even some type of redemption. I'm going to go to this place of worship. I'm going to tell you something right now. This may be your first time here. Maybe you've been here since you were like a fetus. I don't know. Some of you could have been there for this long. Bell Shoals is an incredible place. Bell Shoals will not save you. Bell Shoals is incredible. The staff is incredible. The people are incredible. God's doing an amazing thing. Leadership is awesome. Bell Shoals cannot save you. This is just a building. This is just a place that we can gather and to be exposed to the thing that will save us, this living water, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you're coming here because you have a spiritual need and you're expecting that sitting in that chair is going to meet that spiritual need, it won't. That having a conversation with somebody that's been on staff or a leader, that's going to meet that spiritual need, it won't. It might help you, but the only thing that's going to fill that hole that need, that desire in your, in your soul to be satisfied is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus told her. He said, you worship what you do not know. This is verse 22. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Check this out. This is really important. Check out verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking, that's an important word right there, is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And God wants our worship. We just spent three, three songs worth of worshiping, giving praise, glory, and honor to him. Worship is not just music. What we're doing right now, engaging in God's word, that is, that is also an act of worship. So God wants us to lean into it in our spirit, to meet those spiritual needs, but then also in truth. That means that just coming in here and sitting down, being a part of church, being a part of life groups, coming on a Sunday morning, if you're not spending time in his word, you're missing out on that spiritual act of worship. Man, God has made this available to us, his written revealed word to each and every one of us. We've got to engage in it. So that's what he says. God is spirit. Those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. So then the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Samaritans would understand some of the Old Testament. Some Old Testament uh, passages in the Bible. Typically they knew about the first five books of the Bible, and then they would kind of pick and choose, which is one of the reasons why there was dissension between the Jews and the Samaritans. So she's saying, hey, I know that there's a Messiah coming. I've read about it before. He's going to be the one that's going to come and tell us all. Of course, it's ironic because of who she's talking to. And then here he says, verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He reveals himself. 
He revealed himself to her in that moment. Nothing clicked until that very moment. So what does she do? Verse 27, take a look, and then we'll wrap up here. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. That's interesting. The disciples also would have gotten this weird interaction that, that even though they were called to have a passion for people, what happened is Jesus in that moment displayed that, but they were still struggling with it. Whoa, 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 why are you talking to this woman? So then, go down to verse 29. Oh, no, 28, I'm sorry. So the woman left her jar of water, went away into the town, and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Jesus came, offered her living water, revealed to her that he was the Messiah, the Savior that was going to take away the sins of the world. And she was so excited and moved by that message that she left her water jar. Now, that's not a, that's not a little thing. Someone like this, this is how they would make a living, was to come, draw water from the well, and take it back to their people. To leave your water jar would be incredibly irresponsible. Unless what you're doing is far more important. And so what she was doing is she left her water jar, had had an interaction with this man called Jesus, the Messiah of the world, and then ran into the town to tell everybody about it. Left it completely. This is what happens when we as sinful people engage with a perfect Savior. Jesus in this moment is putting on full display what it looks like for us to have a passion for people. I want to give you three things that I think would be important for us to understand. That if we can apply these three things to our lives, it would really be helpful to display what Jesus has displayed here. The first thing is this, a passion for people starts with a passion for the gospel. Now, I don't know what you walked in here with, I don't know if you're just a friend and, and this whole gospel thing is brand new to you, but I'll tell you this, what Jesus did for this woman, this sinner, this person who had nothing to do with anything that went, that, regarding the gospel, Jesus has said, hey, the very first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to give you living water, I'm going to give you the gospel. If you don't understand the gospel, that's probably why you don't have a passion for people. We together as believers in Christ have to engage with people for the sake of the gospel and for nothing else. This is what the gospel does. It changes our lives and we move forward. But it's not just that. A passion for people sees barriers as opportunities. Those people you were thinking about earlier that might be very difficult people to be around, some of you pointed directly to your friend, and that was rude, I think, but maybe that's the person. Those people that are really difficult to be around, maybe it's somebody at your school, maybe it's an authority figure, maybe, maybe it's somebody even in your family. Those barriers that you would say, hey, listen, I get it, I'm supposed to be passionate about people, Jesus put this on display with this woman, and now I'm, I'm just going to maybe be, be passionate about people that I like. That's not what God has called us to. Those barriers that we see can be opportunities for us to engage with people. Maybe there's somebody at your school that people don't really care for, people pick on all the time. Maybe you're the one that's picking on people. You are not putting anywhere near the example that the gospel brings to us when you display that kind of lifestyle. A passion for people sees barriers as opportunities. 
But then the third thing, a passion for people demands action. Jesus pursued her. She recognized the gospel, and then what did she do? Almost immediately, she left her jar, she took off into a town to go tell of exactly the transformation that happened in her own life. There are so many people in this world, in your school, in your home, at your jobs, whatever it is, that are desperate for something. And they have a spiritual need. And instead of being exposed to the gospel or responding to the gospel, what's happening is they're trying to fill it with something else. My mom came to know the Lord right before I was born. It was amazing. She went from thug life to I don't know what rhymes with thug that's spiritual, but that kind of life. From thug life to Jesus, that's fantastic. She became, she became one of the most incredible soul winners, if you even use that term anymore. She became somebody that was so passionate about people that she would engage with anybody she met. We'd be at a restaurant, and all of a sudden something would happen, and, and, and she would be like, oh, I'm talking to this, uh, this, this waitress, and we got to know each other, and uh, we're Facebook friends now, and we're going we're gonna to go meet up at, at coffee next week. I'm like, what? Like, Mom, chill. Like, I got to show my face around here. You're embarrassing me. She was so passionate about people. She was involved in ministry things all throughout her life. She's, she's shared the gospel with some very important people. Her job kind of put her in, in positions of, of influence over uh, a four-star general. I don't know if you know what that is. There are only 42 four-star generals in the United States military that exist in the United States. That's how influential she ended up being. And so for us, when we see, when I think of a passion for people, I look at my mom. Now, she was one of those difficult people that somebody had to reach, right? She was. And maybe you are that person. Maybe you're the difficult person. That somebody had to reach in order for you to be in this room right now. But my mom had such a passion for people that even in her dying breath, she was sharing the gospel. My mom passed away two and a half years ago. She's the most incredible person in my entire life. And here's what they say. This, this might get a little graphic and morbid, and I'm sorry if maybe this is going to hit too close to home for some of you, but... In the last couple of weeks of, of her life, she battled six different types of cancer for about 15 years. Eventually, her liver failed because of all the medications she had to take. In the last two weeks of her life, she was in this thing called hospice. It's basically make you comfortable until you pass away. And here's what the hospice nurses said. They said, listen, as, as people go on and they, they lose their life, what, what happens is the last thing to go is their hearing. So you can talk to them. And in fact, what they encourage you to do is sometimes people are holding on to things and that's why they don't want to let go. And so what they encourage you to do is to tell them, to tell them, hey, everything's going to be okay. So what we would say, we'd say this for two weeks straight. We would say, I'd say, mom, like, I am financially stable. Me and Katie, the boys, we're going to be all right. Dad is doing good. We're all in good health. It's okay. It's time for you to go. Like, we would tell her that. The nurses were like, yeah, keep saying that because it'll help, it'll help her kind of be okay to just kind of let go. Be like, Mom, it's okay. We're all fine. We're all happy. It's not time for you to go. So we'd say this for two weeks straight. 
My mom's mom grew up Catholic. She's Cuban. My mom's side is Cuban. And we were all sitting around my mom's bed. And the nurse was like, there's still something. There's still something that's hanging on, that she's hanging on to. And so I had my Bible out. We were, we were talking about um, this, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. It says, to be, to be present with the Lord is to be absent from the body. So we were praying that my mom would just be present with the Lord, be absent from her body. No more, he, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more sin. She was going to be fully healed when she got to heaven. So we're praying that. Well, my grandma, who's sitting right next to me, had no idea what we were talking about. She does not know the Lord. And so between me and my dad, we started to explain the gospel to my grandmother. And in that moment, as soon as we got done, we looked up and my mom took her last breath. My mom had a passion for people. And with her last breath, her goal was to share the gospel with her mother. And I think about that a lot. Because who am I to waste any of my breaths that I still have here on earth and instead just keep it to myself and identify barriers and things in my life that will keep me from other people, but instead I do my absolute best to follow my mom's example, to have a passion for people that is rooted in the gospel. This Samaritan woman, you'll see in verse 39, the result of her movement forward because of the gospel says this, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's what? Testimony, her story. What does it look like to be passionate about people? Listen, just tell them your story. If God truly changed your life, just tell them that story. And then verse 42, these people, many more believed and then they said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Guys, we have a passion for people because Christ had a passion so much that he died on the cross for each and every one of us. I know I'm new here. I don't deserve this at all. I don't. I don't deserve to be a part of such a great student ministry team, to be a part of such a great church. I don't get to be, I don't deserve to be in front of you people opening up God's word and sharing this with you. But it's because of what Christ did on the cross that I am now in a position to just be a servant for him. Every one of us in this room has access to this great salvation once we realize that it's the Savior of the world calling for our hearts. So if you're in this room and you don't know anything about this, maybe, maybe you're in this room and you're trying to fill a spiritual need in your life with something physical or something else, I'm going to tell you something right now. A response to the gospel is the most important thing you could ever do. I promise you, when you come in contact with a holy God, with a Savior of the world who wants so badly for your heart to be lined up with his, Incredible things happen, and you too will have a passion for people. I want you to bow your heads with me real quick.
If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to not leave this place until you get that figured out. You can talk to any one of us. I'll be in the back of the room. I know Morgan's here, Bo's here. We've got plenty of leaders in this room. If that's something that you are struggling with or walking through, would you, would you just come and talk to one of us before you leave? Because, man, when we are engaged with the gospel, incredible things happen. Father, I pray that you would just be with us tonight. Father, as midweek has now kicked back off, and here we are, first Wednesday of the school year. I pray, God, that we would start this year off right with an understanding that the gospel is going to change us. And God, unless we allow that to meet the spiritual need in our lives, we will never, we will never have a passion for people like the one you just displayed for us. So God, I pray that tonight we would have students, we would have leaders that would recognize the power of the gospel in their lives and use that to have a passion for people all over this city and have a desire to share the gospel with those that desperately need it. God, speak truth into our lives. May we worship in spirit and truth even now in this moment. We ask all these things in your son's name.